This is Max Grudenchik, Rom from Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Thank you. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to the second of our weekly podcast reviews of the new Fox Marvel show Legion. I'm your host Craig McKenzie and without further ado we shall begin the discussion. This week is a reduced X team. Uh, it's just me and Chris this week. Hello Chris. Hello. Welcome to the Dream Factory. <laughs> or the Memory Factory. Or whatever. Me- memory Factory? Yes. Okay, Memory Factory, why not? <laughs> it's a factory that makes memories or... I don't know. I'm going to get off this analogy right now. I've, I've, I've forgotten what the memory factory is. Is that a good or a bad thing? Uh, I don't know. I think right, if okay. we're talking about it, it must be bad. I'm dreaming about the memory factory. How does that happen? Yes. yes. You're dreaming you work in a factory. <laughs> it's, got, it's layered. But yes. Uh, I think this week we should launch straight into spoiler territory because there's no point in talking about the show without talking about the show. Especially if people don't want episode one spoiled, then uh, please don't listen to this podcast until after you've seen it. Please do listen to it. Just do it after you've seen the episode. So, episode two of Legion picks up almost right where the first one left off, with David being taken to Summer Hall, is it called? I believe Summer, so. Summerland. Summerland. Summerland, yes. Okay. Uh, he's taken to Summerland, which is a place that he was told didn't exist uh, because it was all in his head, but it does exist and it's all outside his head. So that's great. Um, it's very, very glossy, I've got to say. Yeah, th- this whole show is kind of lit with a whole dreamlike veneer. Yeah, I mean, the, the X Men have got an old dusty mansion and they've got a very uh, Art Deco cool lair, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's just look for the uh, art house project in the middle of the forest. It's got to yeah, be where they're hiding. <laughs> where they have a giant a giant glass room with a table in it that has weird handles that they can hold on to. It looks like one of those things you used to get for um, uh, roundabouts in the park. <laughs> you sort of grab onto them and then you get spun round or it should give you an electric shock. You know, one of the sort yeah. of electric shock game. You press A, B or C and <laughs> it gives you a shock if you're wrong. Uh, the designers had their had their way with this show, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so most of the episode takes place sort of around this area, although we go into random... We go, we go into, I guess, the town, the nearest town, etc., when he has his therapy sessions. So, uh, so the locationally, it's kind of simple. There's only a couple of locations, which is, is quite good because it keeps you in the... I think it keeps you in the story a bit more. Yeah, I, f- I think it does. It's a it's a very cool little uh, little setting that they've put in. Though I thought when he was getting his therapy sessions that those were mer- memories of our therapy session. They probably were. Right, rather um, rather than I'm visiting the nearest town for therapy. Yeah, yeah. There was there was some stuff I wasn't 100 percent clear on. That that was one of them. But yeah, memories of therapy sessions make sense actually. Now that I think about it, I, I, that, that's what I kind of picked out from it because you get uh, the the Melanie Bird character there, as well as uh, Wallace in one of the in one of the scenes with the therapist. So I thought that was a, a group of memories. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's um, it's a very strange structured show. It's um, to me, it's not a hundred percent clear what's happening at any given moment, like or how it's happening, whether it's real or a memory or some kind of hallucination or a stress headache. I suppose. I think that's I think that's part of the appeal to it, though, that you don't know what sort of angle you're getting. You're not getting an objective view. You're getting David's view of what's going on. So as memories jump about and as characters jump about and as he gets knocked unconscious several times, you know, you've got big gaping holes in your memory of what's going on as well. Yeah. And I quite like how the episode almost straight away uh, launches in with uh, the Melanie Bird character saying, uh, you know, you thought the... You thought your memories, not memories, you thought your experiences were you going crazy, but they were real. You could actually hear voices, etc. So he has, even though he had it confirmed in the last episode, he's confirmed in this episode because he's around his own kind. Yeah, it's not voices, you're hearing people's thoughts. Yeah. And then they play with that, interestingly, later on when he's uh, hearing Sid's thoughts, but doesn't know he's hearing her thoughts. Or he can't tell one thing from the other. Yeah, I mean, there's also the the sort of uh, massive extension of his powers when he's in the uh, sort of not quite MRI machine, um, which seems to enhance his uh, abilities where he's sort of hearing stuff even further away. Yeah, um, it's because it's stimulating different parts of his brain, I think, isn't it? Mm. That's what it looks like, you know. Yeah, the whole point is to find out where his memories are housed. So... I guess it's just poking at his brain to the point that it enhances his abilities or irritates him enough to lash out because he just knocks the the MRI machine outside, which I thought was really funny. He's just lying there on the floor and it's outside. He sort of transports it, doesn't he? Because there's not a hole in the wall or anything. It's just gone from the room. So he somehow somehow transfers the machine but not himself outside. And I love how it's controlled by typewriters. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying last week, um, it, it's very hard to put a date on the program because it's sort of, it looks, all the style and everything of it looks very sort of 70s um, style with a sort of art deco and everything. And then they've got an MRI machine. Now, I'm not yeah. sure when MRI was invented, but I don't think it was then. And, uh, well, they do have computers, they're just not controlled in a, a way that we recognise. No, it's, it's there's a bit of very clunky technology in there, and then there's odd bits. So it's it's strange. It's I, I'm enjoying it for that point that it's making me sort of question everything that I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm sure that someone when the 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 full eight episodes have gone out, someone will go back and assemble it in time order on the internet. <laughs> uh, very similar to what people did with Westworld and things, where they'll sort of go yeah. back. They'll go right. What what is the actual timeline of what's going on? Yes, and it won't be us. No, no, no. I, I won't volunteer for that job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sit here and barely understand it every week, damn it. That's what we do. Yeah, that's why we need Aaron here, so that we, <laughs> he can tell us what actually happened in the episode. So he can, so he can barely understand it, too. Yeah, but, you know, between the three of us, we can come up with a consensus. At the moment, we could just go 50-50. Uh, yes. <laughs> which is uh, fine. But, yeah, I, I really I like this week's episode. I... Um, it went more down the line that I thought it would after last week's. Um, but for introducing this other team, uh, for want of a better word, that he's 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 now in league with, 
I thought it was pretty good. You know, you saw a lot of different characters sort of hanging about in the background in the in the scenes uh, at the at their sort of base, and you sort of think, well, there's you know, there's a few bits that they can work on there. Definitely a few interesting characters hanging about. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I didn't mention what I actually thought of the episode before, but I did like it. I like um, I like that it's essentially going to be it's what looks to be an eight episode character study. So uh, we're still at the point where he doesn't understand himself, doesn't understand his abilities. Clearly has some deeply, deeply set in issues that he can't deal with and refuses to deal with, interestingly. You know, there's a bit where um, I can't remember how to pronounce his name and I heard it not that long ago. Uh, Wallace, that guy. Petonomy, whatever. Him, Jeremy Harris's character. Uh, he's a uh, points out that David is more powerful than anyone they've ever seen, which, you know, we were kind of talking about last week at the, or oh, here we go again. There's another super powerful character, but it's kind of his power is, his raw power is counting against him at this point because he's he's unable to control it and he's unable to put the past behind him. The character's sort of overwhelmed at this point. Yeah. Also, just confused by what's going on because he's being told that it's not him that's doing it and that he's just imagining these things. Where yeah. you know when it turns out he does. I mean, there was a bit where I thought that they were going to go too quickly down the route of him discovering how to control it. Uh, right at the build, uh, the beginning, when uh, sort of uh, Melanie Bird is trying to get him to uh, focus on just one voice, focus on just one voice, and then I thought, if, if this goes down, a, oh, I've figured it all out, it's fine. <laughs> now, moving on, uh, you know, but um, quite, you know, frankly, they, they, they went around and they changed that about, and I thought that was brilliant, because even yeah. they seem surprised with how jumbled up his memories are yeah, and how he's sort of able to influence the memories. He's blocking out quite a lot of what's actually happened, either purposefully or um, subconsciously blocking out different bits. Yeah. And I liked the uh, imagine a volume knob that you're going to turn down to block out the, the rest of the thoughts that are coming into his head. I quite... That was a very kind of Xavier moment. It's, you know, it's the kind of just the right advice he would give to one of his mm. students who was struggling. Um, obviously, it's not Xavier, but it's kind of, yeah, it gives us a bit of an insight into how his powers work in some way, as in he has control over them, but he has to he has to manufacture these kind of control layers himself. So it's things like imagining volume knobs to turn off, turn off people's voices and, and all this stuff. It's just these little things, you know. Yeah. I'm also glad uh, one of the debates that we were having last week is whether he actually body switched and when that swap back happened. Mm. Uh, yeah. So they actually explained that this week, which was good. <laughs> yeah. it was one, one of the questions where we were going, but was it him in the cafe or was it not him in the cafe? <laughs> and it was him and her body in the cafe and then they switched back yeah. again. <laughs> but... He, he his body moves to where her body was at that time. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. So now we've got it. <laughs> we've got it explained a little bit. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was a bit confused at the whole. Oh, I think I killed your friend when I was in your body. And he's like, yeah, you did, and that's kind of okay. I was like, whoa, you sh- you shouldn't be this okay with that. Yeah, I, d- I don't know if he's just dull to that sense. Uh, yeah. At the moment and whether it's something that's going to haunt him because obviously it does concern him because he's still seeing that character. Mm. 
maybe that's why he didn't seem as bothered about it because he still sees her. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, yeah, you've killed her, but she's still hanging about in my head. Yeah, and um, the presence we get of her is like, well, they're kind of augmented memories, aren't they? He sort of remembers her mm-hmm. at different points in his life where she steals cookers for him and things like that. And they do whatever this university's version of vaping is. Yeah, very severe vaping uh, through a... Was it a panda or something? <laughs> Some sort of weird lamp. Yeah. Uh, don't, 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 don't vape through pandas, kids. <laughs> it's not recommended yeah, at all. Apparently not. Some sort of blue fog thing. <laughs> what, what, what were they calling it? It wasn't mist. What were they, they naming it? I can't remember now. Something like that. I, I should I should vape, be writing vapor, notes during this. I think, I think vapor or something they call yeah. it. Yeah. So vaping. It has, it has oh, got a street name, yeah. Yeah. And I, I made a bit of a mistake last week when I assumed that the, the woman in this sort of 70s dress was his mother, but it's not, it's his sister. So, yeah, my my bad. I, I thought it was interesting sort of bringing her back in and she turns up at the, you know, the sort of psychiatrist, the, the, the hospital, and they've gone, no, no, he doesn't exist. He's never been here. And they've still got the guys painting in the background, repairing the <laughs> <Yeah>. walls. <laughs> I thought it was just very, you know, very subtly in the background. I thought that was brilliant. Um, Not so quick know. at the cover-up. <laughs> yeah, like the cover-up is just, the paint is literally drying on the cover-up. As they're sitting there going, no, he's never been here. And that doctor, no. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Not possibly. Surely there'd be a life. queue of people there going, uh, where is my <laughs> brother, <laughs> uh, son, husband, whatever. You know, where are Does they the all? government uh, ever step in and investigate this? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, like, they do. They gone? Oh, they've never been here. What? Really? Not what? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I found uh, the sister character quite interesting because there was kind of a a trifecta of um, inspiration, I guess, between the three women in his life. So you've got a sister who just wanted him to be normal, which means free of all these voices, etc. Where Lenny, from when they were children, encouraged him to be crazy and weird and, and act on his impulses and things like that. So she wants him to be himself. Whereas Sid is angling for him to be better, to live up to his full potential. So you've got this kind of three different expectations of him. Or not expectations, but, you know, I guess hopes for him. And they're all coming from... I guess a place of concern and a place of uh, well, a good place for, for all these characters. But it's it's interesting that David doesn't know what he wants, but these three people do. Yeah, it's it's. I, I think that's what he's going to end up kicking off against at some point. Is all these people wanting him to either use his powers or not? And when he does use it, he's not got enough control of it yet, so it's going to go wrong. Yeah, in plus so many ways, you know, yeah. He seems more drawn to the, to Sid's argument, though, about being all he can be and living up to his full potential. I mean, he, it doesn't take, it doesn't kick in right away, but it's towards the end of the episode where he um, he sort of commits to her her thinking. Yeah, I mean, when he when he goes back into the bunker again, instead of leaving and sort of waits to develop his powers and then fight the government. Yeah. Uh, but I I don't know whether if if he can hear his sister again or whether he needed to be in the cat scan machine in order for that to work. Um, if he starts to hear her being tortured in some way by um by the government agents, 
Yeah, I don't think he'll hold back there for very long before he goes out. Yeah, but I mean that could still tie into him wanting to be better, you know, wanting to oh, live definitely. up to to everything. But um, and it seems like the Melanie Bird character just kind of wants to exploit him. So she wants to train him to the point where he's like where his insane levels of power can be used uh, on their side. I think at the moment she's more curious and trying to find out what she's actually got. She knows he's powerful, yeah. but she doesn't know what his power set actually is. You know, she knows he's hearing voices. She now knows that he can teleport things with his mind when he <laughs> when he wants to. Uh, and he, she knows the sort of telekinesis mm-hmm. uh, things been going on since his childhood. But I don't think she quite, at the moment, knows what she's got and whether he's going to be able to control it. Yeah. Because at some point, want... he's going to become a big danger to that place. He's going to make it very easy to find if it starts blowing up and things start going wrong around about it. Yeah. And she definitely seems to want another soldier, for uh, for want of a better word. Because she does mention that they're at war. And I presume she means with humans. Yeah, that's that. Well, the impression you get is with this government agency, which again I should have written down, which is section something. something. <laughs> yeah, uh, section something. Section something. Um, yeah, very concise podcast this week. You're doing great. <laughs> I'm going to have to write these notes down. Anyway, uh, yeah, whether the section are are chasing them, trying to find where they are. And they are fighting this continual war. I'm guessing in the same way that you've seen in sort of X-Men films where the X-Men are trying to keep in front of the government uh, finding mutants. Yeah. So they try and find them first and take them back. And I think that's what you're going to get here in, in a similar way. It looks like they are keeping a track of anyone the government's trying to find and trying to get there first. Yeah. It reminds me, of, uh, I mean, going back to the sort of X-Men thing, in the, the core films, the, the Xavier-Magneto conflict has always been, well, it's always been broadly ideological because Xavier wants to be seen as an equal. He wants human, humans and mutants to live as equals, whereas Magneto wants mutants to live as superiors. And I wonder what side of the argument she falls under. By she, I mean Melanie Bird. Mm. And I don't know, we've not quite got the impression yet because they've not done I mean they were pretty brutal when they were breaking David out Yeah, that was a no holds barred kind of fight that was going on there because there were people being uh, well killed essentially I don't don't think many survived (laughs) Uh, and that's the impression I'm getting anyway so it's definitely closer to the war angle than it is to the X-Men you know in the X-Men they would do a lot to try and stun or to subdue people, but not necessarily to completely wipe them off the board. Yeah, the the X Men would, but Magneto's. Yeah, so so that at the moment she's edging closer to the sort of Magneto angle. Yeah. Um, but you don't know whether that's just when extraordinary circumstances come in, or if that's their approach every time. Yeah, and since I've watched television before. I imagine that someone from the government will get a hold of David in an episode or two and give them give him their side of the story and talk about how this Melanie Bird person is bad news and here's why she's bad news. And then David will have to essentially choose a side. 
Yeah, I think there will be a, a conflict. Well, I mean, David's already conflicted anyway because he's got so many different points of view coming in at him at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I think he will be presented with that conflict at some point where he's told you're you're on the wrong side here. You should be on this side, and if you come to the side, we'll let your sister go and uh, we'll leave you alone, and you'll be all right. Yeah. I don't think he will particularly stick with that angle. But I think that will be presented at some point. Yeah, and the way that um, this kind of uh, society of mutants, if you will, is constructed, it reminds me of, I don't know if you watched The Tomorrow People, the CW show. Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah, um, it's a bit like that, actually, where you've got the Tomorrow People, they're living underground, they think they're not human, they're separate from humans, they they need to um, exist apart from them, while they're being hunted by this clandestine agency. The setup is quite similar. It is very close, actually, and in the same way, they're trying to rescue their own kind before the government finds them first. Yeah, or before this agency finds them first. Yeah. So you're Although right. There's... It is. It is. It is very, very close. Though, though they've got a very dark layer, whereas the others are in a nice seventies uh, Art Deco paradise. Yes. They, um, <laughs> also, there are far less gratuitous shirtless scenes in this. And that is also true. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they had, uh, the Tomorrow People had Robbie Amell, and he's very kind of in peak physical condition. So it was, oh, yeah, well, uh, can we do this scene with him changing clothes? We could do this scene with him changing clothes, right? Well, we, we both do the podcast shirtless every week. <laughs> we're very proud of our bodies as well. So, yes, you know, just randomly he, he wouldn't have a look in if he was in a room with a pair of us. So, you know, <laughs> and just and just randomly flexing, of course. It, it randomly, yeah, at random moments. Yeah. And occasionally sparring and fighting in the corner shirtless as well. That has been known yes. to happen. That's Lots how we decide ratings. Flying around. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, it gets quite uh, it gets quite disturbing and makes people feel insecure. But, you know, we love it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we must be the only podcast to compare um, the Tomorrow People to Legion, but I don't know. I it's it's, it's, it's a very similar point. It, it is very similar in some yeah. ways. I think the storytelling in this is a little bit more sophisticated. I mean, not that the uh, the Tomorrow People was bad. It was just it had a very kind of definitively quick way of telling its story. Whereas this is a bit more drawn out and a bit more weird and all over the place. In a well, good some, way. some of it was resolved in the first episode because you're right. The character in the Tomorrow People at the very beginning has been told, "No, you need to take medication. You're crazy." You keep appearing in these people's houses, you know, all yeah. this stuff that you're saying is happening isn't, you're just nuts. So, you know, here's your medication and behave. And then discovers, no, actually, you do have power. So it's a very similar angle yeah. uh, in oh, some ways. God, it's the same show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the opening is a lot different. I mean, last week's episode is a lot different from the first episode of the Tomorrow People, but it does follow a very similar sort of angle where a character's been told continually that no you're not you're not uh, able to do these things you're just you're sleepwalking you're imagining things you're you're not right yeah um but yeah no it's it's you're right it'll be interesting to see how it develops i'm not wanting to try and predict too much what's going to happen because i think it's going to go very off the wall at some points mm. um Definitely. The flashback scenes are really interesting. So going back to his childhood and the way 
the names of the books were changing. Mm-hmm. His dad's uh, bedtime story, which got darker and darker and darker <laughs> yeah. as it went along. Now, either he really did have very, very dark bedtime stories when he was a kid, or there's something sort of leaking over from somewhere else into that bedtime story. But yeah, it was... Um, yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> it's another one of those... You know, you're just sort of wondering uh, how much of it is uh, real, how much of it's sort of imagined and put on. And I'm still trying to work out what the sort of fat devil character is. <laughs> uh, a lot of science fiction slash fantasy type shows, they have, you know, when, when characters are remembering something, they remember it so vividly and they remember every single detail. And for some reason, it's in third person. But this one, it, he's kind of exploring these memories and he doesn't, he doesn't have full mastery over the events, so he just he he does pervert them with his own experiences. You know, he remembers incorrectly, like the stories changing and things. So it's quite interesting that um, because if I was trying to remember something that happened when I was say five years old, I might get the gist of it, but the details would be wrong. Yeah, and from what the Wallace character says if he interacts within the dream and changes something within, not the dream, the memory, sorry. Mm-hmm. If he changes something within that memory, it changes the memory itself. Yes. It's not what he actually did, but it will change his memory of what he did. And at this point, the only view that we've got of those events is through his memory. We're not getting the objective third person view yeah. of what actually happened. We're getting his slightly warped version of everything. Yeah, and it's interesting how you never see his father, like, in detail. Well, you don't see his face. And yeah. uh, uh, as you say, as someone that has uh, seen TV shows in the past, that would suggest that his father isn't dead and we are going to see him again at some yes. point. He does, he does <laughs> seem to have hair, though, which interests me. <laughs> Maybe he just remembers them with hair. Patrick Stewart had hair at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I'm still going by this. Uh, you know, his father is Xavier, which is not impossible. It isn't. It isn't impossible. It's. It. It still could be the case. It's. It's one of those ones. I. I don't know whether it will pan out. Obviously, I'm hoping it doesn't. If mm. I'm able to set a second guess plots, and always think, well, that must have been really obvious then. <laughs> but, um, his. Uh, you know the fact that you've not seen his father face always sort of think makes me think oh well there's going to be some sort of third part reveal here where they go okay um and now we're going to hand you over to the boss of this uh this agency this government section and oh it's it's that guy (laughs) he's just like father yeah and he wheels himself in and he's patrick stewart i'm not letting this go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Until it's confirmed that it's not in, def- in fact Patrick Stewart, I will assume that it is Patrick Stewart. There was, um, I was going to say something else. I don't, I don't know if we could fit this in a section somewhere else, but I'll mention it now anyway, just out of sequence. But the uh, a couple of the music tracks that they played, I really liked in this episode. The opening uh, over the sort of Talking Heads, a version of the Talking Heads. I don't know who did it, um, but the Road to Nowhere. So. <laughs> acoustic version of that i really liked at the beginning of this episode yeah the, the music is quite interesting and there was um what was the song at the end again it was um hyperactive i think yeah uh, i quite like the the way they use music in this show it's, it's quite inventive and um, because it is kind of again it ties into the 
not being able to rely on memory and things like that. It, it, obviously, the, the songs are all covers. So it's kind of, it could almost be the music that he hears in his head, which isn't by the original artist because he doesn't remember how it really sounds. It could be that. Mm. I mean, it, it could just be that they wanted some kind of indie number to play over the opening credits. But, you know, equally it could thematically tie into the kind of loss of identity or gaining identity, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the sort of little opening, uh, it's, it's one of these, another one of these shows that hasn't got a very, very long opening title sequence, but I really like the sort of whispering, all the whispering voices over the, the opener. Yeah. What was was rather neat. Yeah. Um, it's it's nice and subtle. I'm not a fan of TV shows that have uh, theme songs and credits that last about two minutes of the, of the thing as, yeah. as they try and name check every single person that's worked on it over the opener. Yes, that bothers me as well, mostly because it wastes two minutes of screen time that could be spent on something else. But yeah, the, the, that kind of time, I don't know, you still get it on HBO shows and stuff, but the, that, the time of doing that on network shows seems to have gone, thankfully. You just get a quick title card and then it's on with the, the nonsense. Because they do that on Flash and Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow, just quickly in there, job done. Just just explain the plot for everyone before they before they start. <laughs> yeah. Um in terms of the, the memories, uh it's interesting how it's seen as a problem when he keeps returning to that childhood bedroom. because uh, it well, I guess he's not putting it behind him. And there's maybe just a desire to be innocent with David. You know, the big war, bad world is starting to scare him because He's had all of his fears validated in the sense that, you know, maybe I am actually telepathic and powerful and doing all these things. So it makes sense that he'll kind of want to return to as innocent a place as he, he possibly can. Well, in Dr. Fact, Bird seemed to be looking for a flashpoint of when he first used his powers or first experienced it, which yeah. could be that memory, which is why he keeps sort of skipping back. Because even when they yeah. were trying to get to a memory in the kitchen, they got a quick flash of him in the kitchen. And then it skipped all the way back to that same memory again. Yeah. And it was definitely identified as a problem. So maybe previous people that have undergone this procedure have been um, a bit more cooperative or have, have pushed back a bit less. Yeah, yeah there's be an issue, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely unresolved issues in his past that he hasn't been able to deal with yet. And those seem to surround his father who may or may not be Professor Xavier. <laughs> it could be. He also mentions that he lived in the country upstate, you know, which is where the X-Mansion is. Just saying. It's probably annoying the listeners by now. I'm going to stop. But, um, well, it's, it's one of those, because I've not, read, I've not read the comics, so I don't, yeah. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I mean, you know um, the mansions in Westchester because it tells you often enough. Yes, yeah. you know, you know it's sort of upstate and everything. You know, you know it's out there, but it didn't look like it would be a mansion that he was in when he went back to the house. Or you, you see the memory of him heading to the house from the field. Yeah, it, it's maybe, not. It's not the mansion house. No, maybe he's an illegitimate love child who's hidden in this other property somewhere. Yeah. Uh, could be that there's a you know Xavier seems to have a massive estate, so there might be a little house <laughs> for, his, for his children. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so, so, somewhere close to the big satellite dish that conveniently <laughs> appeared for one of the films. Uh, yeah. Very, you know, just underneath Jodrell Bank, uh, as it was. Yeah. yeah, it could be. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of the inside of his memories. But we had, um, I think Sid, is it Sid? Yeah, Sid talks about her memories uh, or how her memories were explored and how she started to find herself through that. And there was something about she was, she stopped talking afterwards for a while or something. She stopped doing something. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like they get everyone to go through that so they can see what, how they've exhibited their powers or what's triggered them in the past. Yeah. To sort of work out how either they can control it and cause it to trigger or to prevent it triggering in the future. Yeah. And uh, Sid is a bit roguish in the sense that she doesn't, well, she can't be touched, but she doesn't even want to touch people through her gloves because she doesn't, it just makes her feel uneasy. So there's that whole hand-holding thing. Um, it's not until David tries to leave that she says, I'll hold hands, I want to, even though she doesn't. Yeah, I, it's very similar to the Rogue uh, the rogue character, especially from the sort of first uh, X-Men film, uh, where you know she's wanting to avoid all contact with people and keep covered up. And Yeah, it, it's, it's, it, you're right, it is very similar to that angle. Though she seemed to have a different power, or was it her in the first episode? Yeah, uh, it seems to be body switching. Pool, yeah, was, the body switching seemed to be her thing, but what about the electric shock that she caused at the beginning or the end of the uh, the first episode? Yeah. Because when they were communicating through the, the dream or through the memory, mm-hmm. she said, I'm going to... You know, once you get in the water, I'm going to do this. So was it her that did that, or was it someone else? I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to tell. There's definitely a lot of development to do with Sid and what her abilities are and how they they tie into the whole, the overall, I guess, tapestry of how the show is built. Um, She's kind of running back up for David at the moment, which is definitely the right thing. And she sort of represents his, where he needs to, or where he thinks he needs to get to. Whereas... As I said earlier, uh, Lenny represents kind of where he was uh, or a point where he thought he wanted to get to, just being comfortable in his own skin. So there's there's influences there. And in having uh, Lenny be a, a passive influence because she's dead and it's only her her memory, in effect, that, um, that can inspire him, probably means that that character can only go so far. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, all the different influences and the voices that he's got are going to lead him, lead him on, or potentially lead him astray. I mean, Sid seems to be wanting to keep him with the team at the moment, mm. and the Lenny character is sort of just lurking about in the background just now. But I don't know whether that, at some point, is going to take over and go on a sort of wild fun spree at some point. Yeah. And how good is uh, Aubrey Plaza in that role? She's just so off the wall, it's hilarious. No, she's just playing a really weird out-there out character, and I do I, I do like it. I just wonder, it's one of those things where you're not getting the objective third-person view, you're not sure how that character actually is in, uh, in real life. And was she always there in those memories, or is he just planting her there in different memories? Yeah, she could be anything, really. Uh, it depends what his mind state is at this at any given point that she could she could show up and be kind of prim and proper in one episode or you know even more out there in another episode i think um it'd be interesting if his 
as his mental state changes, if she changes along with it. That'd be true. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Maybe we will. Who knows? That's what it's. That's what happens when you don't know what's happening over the next six episodes. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, the episode also avoids that uh, villain of the week thing that we were concerned was going to happen. There it has really... so far. I mean, this this really was an introduction to the team episode in a way. Yeah. You know, through the, you know, through a little bit, you know, they've now met most of the main team plus their tech guy, the the convenient tech guy who you get in, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the character, uh, <laughs> down in the, uh, who's talking to himself in the cat yeah. scan. So, you know, they've got they've got some of the sort of mandatory uh, characters there on the team. So whether that will start being that either villains are going to turn up or they're going to have someone to rescue each week up until the point when they, presumably by the end, they're trying to take down the section in some way. Yeah, and it maybe won't be until the last episode that we get any kind of major big action set pieces, I suppose. Because this one was definitely a character-driven memory exploration, which was different because it meant that the conflicts were more internal and and the resolution of them didn't involve him just fighting someone at the end and then, you know, realising how much stronger he is when he embraces the team. I'm looking at Flash for this one. Um, Definitely, yeah. Because that's how almost every episode ends, with a realisation that they're better, stronger together, um, which is getting a bit tiresome. But that's that hasn't happened here yet. It's more about um, more about David figuring out who he can trust and kind of getting thrown through the ringer with all these weird rituals that he has no idea about. So, you know, it's not a good time to be David, really. Hmm. So much uncertainty in his life at the moment. That's very true, and uh, like like I said last week, and I will say again, and I will keep the tally of interest things up. Uh, <laughs> it, um, I, I really want to see what happens. It's sort of hooked me in a little bit. It's it's very off the wall, so it's not that predictable. Uh, not yet, anyway. I I would hate for them to start going down too predictable a route. There's odd bits that we've pointed out where you're like, well, this could very obviously lead to that. I would love for them to go somewhere else with all those things. Yeah, you know, if it turns out no, his dad isn't one of the villains. His dad is genuinely just dead, and he can't remember him for whatever reason. There will yeah. be a there will be a reason in there, but if they don't go down the obvious route, then brilliant. Yeah, or if the yeah the memory represents something completely different as well, yeah, which is entirely true. possible. Because um, the the mother wasn't featured all that heavily either, was she? She was there, but yeah, but not featured too strongly. I agree. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it suggests he has mummy issues as well as daddy issues. But we have no love triangle, so we're all good. No love triangle yet. No. <laughs> Unless the love triangle's with Sid and that uh, and the memory of Aubrey Plaza. Which, you know, would just be weird. But also not out of place for this show. It wouldn't it wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> it wouldn't be uh <laughs> Uh, that's the kind of love triangle that this film would probably end up with. Yeah. It's when the last episode ends and it uh, all turns out to be an elaborate story that his father told him. That's um, that's when <laughs> it will really derail. 
You mentioned last week, it reminded you of Mr. Robot in, in some ways. Mr. Robot has this kind of dreamlike quality to it as well, you know, where the, the narrative is almost hyper-real. You know, you, there's sort of clear ABC events going on, but there, again, the lead character in that show, was his um, perspective was a bit skewed by all the drugs he does and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's... Mr. Robot is very similar. I'm not wanting to spoil that for anyone that hasn't seen it, but it does go down the same line of you not having that objective third-person view that you get in a lot of TV shows. Um, and it leaves you guessing about what every character is actually saying. Because yeah. Elliot, as your narrator of Mr. Robot, is very unreliable. Mm. You know, yeah. purposefully leads you down the garden path at a lot of points. And by that same token, sometimes doesn't. Yeah. So when you think, oh, I can't trust a thing he's saying, oh, no, that genuinely did happen. Yeah, and, and, and David's very much the same. And, you know, that's that's point, and that's what makes it uh, more interesting in a way, because it does leave you guessing. Now, in some ways, I, I do get fed up of programmes sometimes that purposefully not so much misinform you, but leave things out without reason. Mm. If you get a character that goes, you know, uh, well, that's just the way we've always done it since the accident, <laughs> then just sort of just, <laughs> then just sort of drifts off, and you go, whoa, 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 hang on, why, why would that be left blank at that moment, apart from just to annoy us and leave, you know, purposefully leaving stuff out annoys me some of the time because I'm like, no, let me figure it out for myself. Then, if you give me the information, I can figure it out. Otherwise, you're just purposefully leaving little blanks in there. Yeah. So that you can fill them out later and, you know, go, oh, well, very obviously you should have known it was this character that did it because, you know, it's, um, no, but it's, I, I, I like it. It's very, it's very clever how it's happened so far. And I, I think I keep in my head and what I'm saying, is I keep sort of warning myself to not get my hopes up too much that they don't do something very obvious with it. Yeah, because then my hopes at the moment are that I'm going to be very surprised. Not each episode, but hopefully surprised with it overall. And I have been so far. Mm-hmm. My worry is that something happens, and you know, like you say, it either becomes the villain of the week or the rescue of a week later on. Yeah, but there's only eight episodes, so there's not much time for it to become that yet. Yeah. <laughs> it could be one of those things where the first four episodes are really interesting character stuff and then the last four are less interesting villain hunt stuff um, I I think the way this show is set up at this point it would feel wrong for it to go down the traditional superhero series route yes uh, I mean I imagine that we will see some more action like we did in the first episode because that's just part of it. What's the point in having a guy that can uh, throw MRI machines through walls without breaking them uh, if you don't see him use those abilities in some kind of cool action way? But I think if you earn it, it's better. So if you get to the point where you're invested in a fight between two different characters and uh, it can become it becomes more engaging that way. I think um, it certainly seems like they're building towards that a conflict that will be somewhat satisfying, but you'll need David to interact with some kind of villain if that's to happen, which he so far hasn't. Yeah, I think keeping him unreliable and unskilled yet with his powers is probably the best way to go 
because looking at his skill set so far, if he did properly get it under control in a rapid episode fashion, he'd be unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it, you know, you'd be rolling credits at the end of the episode. That would be it. <laughs> um, because, you know, the ability to read minds, throw things across the room, especially to the enhanced capacity where he's able to tell what's going on miles away. Yeah. Hear a conversation from miles and miles and miles. He's got a deep emotional connection with his sister that helps with that. Mm-hmm. But if he's able to tap into that for anyone... Yeah, you know, that's a that's an amazing skill set for them to have, especially from the point of view of them trying to find other mutants to join their team. Yes, maybe maybe he can only do that when he's inside Cerebro, because that's essentially that that's what the they're referencing with that, aren't they? He gets in a machine and it amplifies his power. I suppose it is going down that angle. They, they sort of, they've accidentally discovered um, Cerebro. Yeah, in a way of enhancing. Yeah, it was almost like that in F. The first class movie where um, uh, the they just use a, a radar dish or something that's out in the back of the the uh, government mm. area, and um, and Xavier and Magneto give the guy terms, and he says, and he says, "What if I don't agree?" And he says, "Well, good luck using your installation without me," which was funny. But the, uh, obviously that didn't happen here. But it was the idea. He's in, idea. He's inside this thing, and then he's. Um, He's so terrified that his powers are completely out of control, and if it's amplifying them as well, his fear will be amplified, and you know, and he'll be able to teleport stuff. Weird. <laughs> I love the bit where he was told not to sneeze, and he said, "Why would I sneeze?" That was funny. There were a couple of sort of dry wit moments that I thought were. Yeah. Good. I mean, I'm really enjoying Dan Stevens as David. I think it's brilliant. Uh, yeah. A bit of casting. He's he's been really good so far. Um, it's it's sort of he's very sort of dry sense of humor. Very uh, naive isn't the word that I want to use. I'm I'm trying to think. Um, but yeah, he's it, it, the character can be quite funny, quite brutally honest sometimes. Yeah. With what he's saying, very direct and. Um, no, I've, I've I've liked that a lot so far. Yeah, I would say he's definitely naive in a lot of ways because he hasn't really, well, he's spent so much time kind of having his perception played with and getting told that everything he sees and hears and feels is a lie. So uh, that is going to make you feel a bit naive. He's almost it's almost like he's discovering the world again for the first time, and he's giving context to everything as well. You know, so revisiting those memories is a good way to do that. He gives himself context about the things that he. He experienced when he was younger, when he didn't know what he was experiencing. Or at least it's supposed to give context. I don't mm. know if it quite does. Certainly not on a personal level. I mean, that, that will come later, I suppose. But yeah, it's interesting stuff. It's stuff we haven't seen from uh, televised or film X-Men stuff. Well, we haven't had any televised X-Men stuff before this, but other than cartoons. Um but it's something that we don't see in the films because the films don't have time. So it's quite cool to just spend a few hours just exploring this and getting to grips with it. The mutant condition. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a, well, I was going to say a realistic look, I suppose. But, you know, what if, if you were a mutant but didn't know that other mutants existed, then how 
would you react to? How would you be treated? Because other people wouldn't know that other mutants existed. They'd just look at you as a complete oddball when statistically you're slightly higher, actually, than everyone else. You know, there are others out there. Yeah. And they had um, a bit more exploration of the whole where mutants stand in this society. I mean, Sid mentions that they're, they, in inverted commas, are looking for us. Um, But it seems like society as a whole are largely oblivious to the existence of them. Yeah, it seems the point. I mean, we were trying to work out last week if how if this falls within the timeline that the films have done. You know, the, after the because after the Cuban missile crisis in the films, the government's aware. Yeah, but I don't think the public become aware until Magneto sort of lifts a football stadium <laughs> over. Yeah. Uh, um, over uh, Washington. Yeah. So and, and- I'm I'm guessing this is supposed to fall somewhere between those two. I'm not so sure it is. I think it's genuinely its own thing. But if you look at um, the original pre-time travel X-Men movies, they, the public are only starting to become aware of mutants as the first one starts happening. So, you know, the, the whole discussion is about this. This new thing in our society, we have to deal with it. So, well, you can't really place it, this show in a timeline just yet, but I actually don't think it's part of any of the X-Men film continuity. Uh, it's something that we'll probably keep talking about every week because, you know, we're nerds and like to talk about this yeah. stuff. <laughs> and, 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 we like, and we like our combined universes where everything ties in neatly. Uh. Yes, uh, <laughs> see that podcast. Or listen to that podcast. Because <laughs> you have it in, um, you know, there's always these fun moments where a character will speak to a, another character over the phone that's from another show but they're, or another whatever but and obviously you don't you might not even hear that phone call but you're like ah he's talking to whoever you know but uh, i don't think that will happen with this i i I, I think i still believe the same as i did last week where potentially they are edging for it to be in the same universe but they won't confirm it until the show has been successful yeah i i think they go yeah well that's the thing until (laughs) until they sort of you know, I, I don't even think that they will hint fully at being in that universe, even showing a little bit of a news clip of something or hinting at Xavier's school or, yeah. you know, a mention of Moira McTaggart or, you know, Stryker or a character out of the films, you know, even just hinting at a name mm. until if it comes back for a second series and it's been successful in its first, they might allow them to start doing that. Yeah, but I, I always feel with these shows they don't get access to the full sandbox or tied into the same sandbox until they've been proven because they're not wanting to sort of dilute something or tarnish a name. Yeah, and maybe it shouldn't as well. I mean, maybe it should just be its own thing. It could benefit greatly from not being tied into the films and being allowed to run on its own a bit like the DC TV shows have where it gets to, you know, those shows get to run off a little bit because they're not tied into the film universe in any way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. Continuity. Who who doesn't love it? Uh, so, is there anything else to discuss about this episode? I mean, I feel like we've vaguely understood it, also not understood it. Uh, there was no um, song and dance number in this week's episode. No, uh, none at all. I know that Aaron would want me to mention that on this yes. week's podcast. 
let's yeah. lament the, uh, the the lack of a song and dance number. Yeah. And let's also have a moment of silence for the Tomorrow People. Gone before it's time. Gone before tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> Moment's over. All right. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so memories are weird. He has an obscured father who we might or who may or may not turn out to be Patrick Stewart in a later episode. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff to go on. There's the, the mention of a war, the idea that he might become some kind of force for evil or good, I suppose. Because we've only got one point of view at this point. So we don't we don't know what the other side is motivated by. It could just be fear of the unknown or something like that, but it could be something something grander and more interesting than that. Because we've seen enough of this persecuting mutants because of fear and stuff in, in the films. It'd be interesting to see another reason to be wary of mutants in these fil- in this ep- these episodes. Definitely. So, I don't think I've got anything else. We've managed to run under the running time of the episode, I think. Just Again. about. Oh, hey! <laughs> <laughs> but this is not a commentary track. Don't watch it at the same time as the episode, be- or listen at the same time as the episode, well, because be it ve- no be sense. Very- very disjointed, but probably would work with this, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, any closing thoughts from you? No, I just uh, I look forward to to the future episodes. I did enjoy it, and uh, I'm, I'm going to keep watching it so far, I think. Yeah, me too. Uh, mostly because we're recording a weekly podcast, so that keeps me in the game. Yeah, the next week's episode where none of us have watched it will be probably just as well informed as we have been this week with uh, section I, uh, and yeah. uh, not knowing how to pronounce <laughs> the character names. Uh, we're, we're doing very well. I didn't well. watch it, but I did read some of the Wikipedia article about it. <laughs> and that's enough, right? That, that's definitely enough. <laughs> just a thought. So, on that note, I think we shall retreat into our childhood memories and live there in our pillow forts because it's much better than real life. And on that happy note. (laughs) On that happy note, wrap up. So I will say good night, Chris. Good night, good day, good morning, good afternoon. And good evening. So that was our discussion on Legion Chapter 2. Thanks to YouTuber 331Erox for this polite music. As always, if you like what you heard, then hit the subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcast account. We hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.